0: Company culture is kind of a big deal. It takes work to get it right, and more so when it needs to change. Last episode, we heard Worldwide Technology's story and how they had to win over their engineering teams to participate in a broad automation framework. After a lot of trial and error, automation became part of their company culture. That's all well and good for a tech company with a culture open to change, but it's not a given for every company. Whether it's out of inertia, obstinance, or fear, organizations often put themselves in their own way. And without cultural change, automation won't get very far. This episode, we hear from consultants at Deloitte and how they help their customers build a culture where automation becomes part of their processes and how it helps them bring down barriers.
1: The intent is really to build a culture of innovation and automation that can fuel and sustain the automation strategic vision for years to come.
0: Eddie Krumholtz helps clients navigate the changing IT landscape in his role at Deloitte. Over the years as a full-stack developer, he learned how to automate manufacturing processes, cloud architectures, DevOps processes, and even automated some of the work for the International Space Station on behalf of NASA. Very cool. Shifting the company culture is part of his job. But culture is a hard thing to change. It's not just bringing back casual Fridays and Taco Tuesdays. There's an imperative to change how people work together. And sometimes there's pushback against those changes based in fear.
1: I would say just in general, it is a journey because a lot of organizations are more resistant to get there for a variety of reasons, right? It can be, hey, if I automate, does it mean that I'm going to lose my job? If I automate, will there be any other ramifications to the organization? I think that there is some natural speed bumps along the way, but the angle of human capital and culture is super important when you're adopting this, right?
0: Culture is all about how we interact with each other, how we present ourselves, and what we prioritize as an organization. And all of that is subject to change, but it's also a strong force against change. David Linthicum has seen that strong force at work. He's the chief cloud strategy officer at Deloitte. He's also an author, podcast host, and all around IT industry expert.
2: If you look at most IT systems, they still have very manual processes. There's some automation, but not a lot of automation. It's typically siloed and fragmented. There's no overreaching orchestration of these automation systems. And they're leaving a lot of uh, money and value on the table.
0: Unifying those teams, breaking apart those silos, orchestrating that work, it's a monumental effort. David and Eddie have found that newer companies building cloud-native systems are more likely to seek out automation solutions, often because they've seen that working without it hampers productivity. But some companies might not be able to see it that way at first.
2: Older systems have a tendency to have a different take. And so in other words, if something's been doing basically as manual processes for the last 30 years, Suddenly we show up to automate some of these systems. In many instances, we're we're extending automation out of the newer systems into the cloud. There can be a bit of pushback on that because you're changing something that has been long since kind of gospel within the organization is what they're looking to do. And so it's a bit of a cultural shift for those sorts of cultures, where in the newer stuff, it's usually demanded.
0: They're used to doing things a certain way. The system works. It needs a lot of care and attention, but it delivers what it needs to. However, the organization has new priorities that require using new technologies.
2: People may push back on that. You're going to have to spend some time explaining to them and providing them with the understanding as to why this is occurring. And that's being an agent of change, which I always joke, you know, I shouldn't have got a computer science degree. I should have got a psychology degree because you end up going to that in terms of dealing with the human beings and how they really kind of accept it. But it's always different depending on the team and the culture that you're dealing with, the company that you're dealing with.
0: That changes when that system is being extended into the cloud and new workflows need to be set up to combine the monolith with a distributed system and that's going to shake things
2: up. You gotta remember, we're not good at building distributed systems, even though we're building complex distributed systems in the cloud these days. We're good at building single monolithic systems where we're dealing with a single operating system, a single database, a single, now that that's been out the window for the last 30 years. And we like to manage those things as if they're monolithic. So we'll cut off a certain amount of experts and a certain amount of tool sets, and we have different silos of people and organization. In many instances, I see those organizations that are organized around systems and databases, things like that. They're not organized around the functions. So you, you know, you have the Oracle group and the Dynamo DB group and things like that. That's the wrong way to do it. You're just building silos within the organization, but they're doing what they know best to build, to manage these things as monolithic systems. And they may have all these various organizations that don't communicate one to another. That can't exist anymore.
0: Silos, barriers, territorialism, those all feed into a lack of communication. We've all had emails go unanswered or teams deflect responsibility when a project doesn't fit their fiefdom. When your teams aren't coordinating while building a complex distributed system, that system is going to be disjointed and prone to errors. Projects get stalled, risks aren't taken, and that sought-after innovation becomes unattainable. It takes more than the right set of tools to succeed. Coming up, Eddie and David are going to tell us how they help their clients increase the odds.
2: Hi, I'm Jeff Ligon. I'm the Director of Engineering for Edge and Automotive at Red Hat. Even 10 years ago, the chaos of running hundreds and thousands of containers in a cluster, it didn't feel like you could go from that to running just dozens in a car. But these days, it's coming. In fact, containers are a big part of the future vision of software-defined vehicles. And look, if we can get the container revolution to work in cars, then everything a cloud-native developer can do today can apply to cars. This huge ecosystem of engineers can start to write applications for automotive. We can completely change the industry. This is why Red Hat's open-source approach to edge computing is so important. The way we collaborate, the way we build together, it's already making some pretty incredible things possible. Learn more about them at redhat.com slash edge.
0: Deloitte has developed a framework with which to structure the planning and rollout of their IT modernization projects.
1: At the firm, we have a a framework we, we call PACE, which stands for Process Architecture, Culture, and Engineering. And when you enable automation, you should really take a look at all these four angles, right?
0: Process encompasses workflows, the ways people work, and how they interact with the organization and with their devices. The architecture component is about considering the elements of the IT system and how they fit together. And the engineering is about looking at the specific tools to use within that system. David and Eddie both mentioned a lot of people focus on the engineering aspect to the detriment of the rest of the framework.
1: So taking consideration that as a backdrop, as well as the uh, cultural parts of it, which ultimately is what is the biggest blocker for most organizations to adopt automation frameworks at large, just simply because organizations are used to doing certain things in certain ways. And typically when you do automations in an organization, it ends up mimicking the organization structure or communication structure as well, which doesn't really buy you much.
0: That's often the silos David was talking about earlier. This phenomenon is referred to as Conway's Law, and it takes concerted efforts to overcome. We're about to hear some of the elements that companies include in their automation frameworks. Don't worry about remembering the exact details, but do pay attention to the breadth of processes that need to be coordinated in concert.
1: To me, an automation framework is a structured set of guidelines, practices, and tools that provide a foundation for organizations on designing, implementing, and executing automated processes. And in some cases, it can be other things like tests. It serves as a basically a systematic approach to automation, promoting consistency reusability, maintainability, and scalability on all tasks.
0: A lot of people use software testing as their first automation projects. That entails creating and executing test cases.
1: So there are several components when we talk about automation framework that people should include. So we talk a little bit about test design techniques. Those are important things like uh, behavior driven testing, test data management.
0: So there's also management of that test data. How is it collected? Where's it stored? How is it processed? What goes into the report?
1: Other elements that are also important are like reusable components. So automation frameworks typically encourage the creation of reusable components or libraries so that you can avoid duplications and then promote more efficient automation. Another element is uh, configuration management, because you can have different environments or different settings, so you need to allow for the same type of automation to be executed in various scenarios.
0: And the list goes on.
1: Logging and debugging, error handling and recovering, parallel execution, cross-browser and cross-platform testing, and then popular automation frameworks, particularly in testing.
0: No single team is likely to have the answers to all of those requirements. And as we heard earlier, many times those teams don't communicate with each other. That needs to change to have any hope of success. That's why culture change is an essential component of the process. It needs to reach all levels of the organization, from the top to its base. Their motivations might not be the same, but they have to find some overlap.
1: On one end, you're promoting knowledge sharing from the top by providing adequate training to employees, and particularly ones that are involved in automation projects. And also, from the bottom up, you also provide that no-fear kind of if you have an idea, bring it, make sure that you enable experimentation and that you account and budget for those things, right? And then enable that knowledge sharing to propagate across the organization. Some use uh, centers of excellence or communities of practice, which are great ways to enable some of these knowledge sharing techniques.
0: And while Eddie and David come in to offer advice, frameworks, and pass forward, the bulk of that work is going to need to come from within.
2: The reality is that people who are in the mix of it, people who are actually doing the work, are the ones are gonna to need to be figure out how to fully automate it. So we're taking some of their resources and some of their time and having meetings and doing tests in place and meeting with vendors and doing some proof of concept prototypes where that's typically not gonna be part of their jobs. And it's gonna be an ad hoc thing. So we're going to reduce your responsibilities for a certain amount of time, say six months. And we understand that productivity is gonna slow down in half because we're taking some of your time away from doing this. But this is something we absolutely see as a viable responsibility of the company. And so that's kind of how it works. And so it's always going to be a beginning. There's going to be a middle and end. It should not be ongoing.
0: It's extra work, which often entails learning new skills. That's not a big deal. We all need to be constantly learning in this industry. What makes it difficult is that the learning in the building also entails slowing down productivity until projects are complete. Only then can they hope to see the benefits kick in. So we've identified that culture needs to change. Eddie and David have laid out the work that needs to be done, and they've got a few ideas on how to encourage the cultural change necessary to make the framework work. It's all about communication.
2: So it's a matter of breaking down those barriers and get people communicating one to another. Not necessarily physically co-located, I don't, there's no need to do that, but the ability to have a collaboration infrastructure and the willingness to collaborate that didn't exist prior. and They're going after this common objective. So in other words, we're telling you, as the CIO of the company, we need to automate how we're doing something across different silos that are occurring, say across 20 different silos. You guys need to figure out how to make that happen. We're gonna put a project management in place to make it occur, but everybody needs to participate in making this a success. So it's kind of a force fit and forcing their hands. But again, to the point we made earlier that I think in many instances, people who exist within these silos see the value of automation.
0: Giving people avenues to talk to each other and encouraging them to take advantage of those opportunities is huge. So is giving people opportunities to test and share their ideas.
1: The second was the realization that an innovation culture really is established with a top-down leadership vision and a bottom-up innovation action. So an innovation culture doesn't happen in one direction, it's bidirectional. Another thing that we recommend for the organization to consider is ideas like crowdsourcing to democratize innovation and also to demonstrate that everyone has a role to play on the innovation agenda.
0: But people aren't going to take advantage of those opportunities unless they know how to use the tools to do so. Some might do their own research. But if the ultimate goal is widespread adoption of automation in your workflows, Why not make it easier for everyone to learn these tools?
1: Other considerations, including education and training to support the innovation culture, because in some organizations are very brick and mortar and that has never been part of their DNA, but that doesn't mean that they cannot be, right? So enabling these help also start shifting the mindset. We uh, had innovation coaches across the organization, and we also made the point that we needed a new way of working to help establish the foundation for this innovation of culture.
0: Sometimes you should tell your employees to be show-offs.
1: The second thing that we did on the innovation culture side was to launch an automation strategy roadshow. And this uh, helped really brand. And in some cases, in some organizations, there have been failures on this. So you can also use this for repositioning the automation strategy emphasize innovation, creativity, and imagination by identifying really novel and compelling automation use cases.
0: It validates the employees' work, which encourages them to continue to automate. But it also shows everyone what they could do themselves, and then give them a space to try.
1: The third thing that we created was an innovation lab, basically called an incubator, that was focusing on targeted innovations that have substantial impact potential. And the last thing that we did is we built an innovation storefront and a dashboard that we were using to publish these results, like I mentioned earlier, highlight any major innovations. And we had feature like automation success stories.
0: With all these strategies, ways to share, ways to learn, They're hoping to inject automation into everyone's
1: routine. You know, automation is not only an elite group, but everybody's involved in this. Having the right rewards is very important. And a lot of organizations kind of learn by copying others. So, for example, in this client, they have multiple business units that decided to choose different parts of IT automation. And they have successes that then they copy from each other. So initially it was spotty, but as more and more people are innovating and they're adopting what other people have innovated on, it's creating more of a, of a wave, right? And this wave continues to grow because success breeds success, right? If everybody's afraid of, beca- of doing automation, then automation never happens. But if you have the right framework and you involve the people and you reward people for doing so, you have a great chance of success. <laughs>
0: Cultural change isn't something to fear. You can't automate that kind of adjustment. But there are systematic ways that can make those transitions more likely to succeed. Establishing a framework, starting up ways in which automation skills can be learned, and successes can be shared, these all make a difficult, scary prospect more attainable and approachable. You can read more at redhat.com slash podcast or visit redhat.com to find out more about our automation solutions. Many thanks to Eddie Krumholtz and David Linthicum for being our guests, and thank you for joining us. This episode was produced by Johan Philippine, Kim Wong, Caroline Craighead, and Brent Simino. Our audio engineer is Elizabeth Hart. The audio team includes Lee Day, Stephanie Wunderlich, Mike Esser, Nick Burns, Aaron Williamson, Karen King, Jared Oates, Rachel Ertell, Carrie da Silva, Mira Cyril, Ocean Matthews, Paige Stroud, Alex Trebulsi, and Victoria Lawton. I'm Jamie Parker, and this has been Code Comments, an original podcast from Red Hat.